0: Um, so i'm on i just i just had a request not to be on other than um i didn't want to be on during the singing that's always a could be a problem Uh, i often sing on key but i can't guarantee it so uh it's better than my dancing so but i'll do neither one of those here today uh we really are excited about being back becky and i really miss our time here we love our church uh, up in richmond where we've been members since 1984 except for our three-year stint here and uh you know, we visited here. I remember when we moved to Charlotte, we moved uh, into a home off Potter Road and we went and visited different churches. And uh, this was the second church we visited, and everybody here was just so gracious and, and loving. What was interesting is, is uh, that David was actually preaching here that Sunday, so uh, the first Sunday we visited. And we, uh, we really didn't visit any other churches uh, after we came here. Everything was so friendly, and then we just realized, you know, we just needed to make a commitment to a church. Uh, there is no perfect church, but we loved this church, and God blessed our, our time here. You know, as I think, uh, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 5. Everybody gets mystified about the book of Revelation. Uh, It's nice to be able to preach one sermon on one section of Revelation and not be tied down to have to preach through the whole book, uh, because that would scare me to death. And uh, so we'll look at at just this one chapter, chapter 5. But one of the things that I really hope that we'll see as we look at this is... You know, I think it was Stephen Covey in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People said something about begin with the end in mind. And so often for us in our lives, we, we have this, um, we get caught up in the day-to-day. We get caught up in our, the sort of box of our lives. Um, and we forget the end. We forget the big picture. We forget to look, remember things from that sort of 50,000-foot view. Uh, it would be a little bit like, you know, David starts uh, his new work tomorrow up at uh, Carolina Presbyterian up in Locust, uh, North Carolina. I don't know who would name a town Locust, but, um, but there you go. Um, <laughs> they did before David got there, so it's not his fault. But but if he gets there tomorrow and, and, it's, and, and he goes and he goes to his desk, he goes to the office... And he's going to wonder all sorts of things, right? You can imagine what he's thinking about. Will he have a stapler? Will he have enough paper clips? Will the Wi-Fi work? That's a huge, right? All these sorts of things he'll need to think about. And he will need to think about those things. He'll need to have those things in mind. Where will he put his books? That's a big thing for pastors. You know, where will we put our books? Will there be enough shelves? And uh, hopefully the church will, will fund any other shelves you might need. But, but what begins to happen is it would be a huge mistake, wouldn't it, if David began to think that's his ministry. That's his call to determine that he has enough paper clips or that the Wi-Fi is working or so forth. Although those things are important. You can even look at it another way. Maybe uh, bring here Redeemer. You know, the Redeemer has is, is been working so hard to, to raise the money it needs, right, to, to, to buy the land that you're buying down the road here and building a new building. And that's an important work that God has called this church to do. But it is not the work that God has called this church to do. Becky and I were thrilled because this week, as we're getting into the big thing, we were, I don't know why, it was just on my mind. It was, a, it was a little bit of a worry. Would we be able to get our visas? I don't know. I'm not on anybody's list Uh, or anything like that, but you're just fearful that there's some other Ambrose Winfrey running around, you know, that's done something criminal in in South America. And so we'd have a difficult time. But God uh, worked it out beautifully. We got the paperwork we needed, took it in uh, to the Colombian uh, consulate in Atlanta on Thursday. And within an hour and a half, we walked out with new visas uh, for Bogota. A real answer to prayer. But getting visas was not the ministry, All that was something we needed to do in order to accomplish the ministry that God had called us to. And what's often difficult for us in our lives, not only as a church, but also as individuals, is we tend to get caught up, in a sense, in the box of our own lives, in our own difficulties, in our own work, And we tend to forget what it is that God is out there to accomplish, and He uses all of those things. Whether David's got the paper clips he needs, or the or the Wi-Fi isn't working, or the building here gets built on time, and and whether we get visas or not, God is out accomplishing His mission. God is at work in a huge and powerful way. So let's look at this passage here in. Revelation chapter 5. Now, you've got to remember in the book of Revelation, it's not a complicated book. It's easy to get bogged down. But what God is doing here is he's called the Apostle John to a vision. And shown him what he is at work doing so that he can tell the churches, the churches at that time, and also even to the church today, that are under tremendous pressures, tremendous persecution, tremendous difficulty, tremendous suffering. And what he wants to do in the book of Revelation is to give them a vision of what he is accomplishing in the world, even as they're undergoing tremendous difficulty and hard times. And so it's a book of comfort It's not a book that's set out there to try to determine dates. It's not trying to determine whether the the European common market is is the Antichrist or, or all those sorts of things. If you've lived through those things you know, and you can still watch on television and see, oh, this person's now the Antichrist and this is going on and this is going on. The book of Revelation is not about that. The book of Revelation is about God has a mission and he is accomplishing it. And it's this mission of bringing many sons to glory. And so when he he invites the Apostle John up and he brings them in the fourth chapter into the very, you might say, heaven of heavens in the very throne room of God. And John sees the worship in heaven in chapter 4 as he has the the angels and the 24 elders and all these people are before the very throne of God. And then in chapter 5 we read this. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a land standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. We pray. Father, I ask you this morning, as we come before you, to hear your word, Lord. Open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts to, to hear you speak this morning through your word. We thank you, Father, that you you gave to John this, this vision. That you brought him into the, the heavenly of heavenlies to see the worship of heaven. And to gain a clearer view to present to your church of your great work, of your mission the mission of the exalted Christ. And Lord, help us today to gain some, some glimpse of that, some idea of what You are about. And we pray these things in the name of the great, exalted, risen Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. As I set the stage a few minutes ago, a little bit about John being brought up into the very presence of God and seeing the worship of God. And we saw in the fourth chapter that that he says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. The worship of God by the angels of heaven. And we see in the fifth chapter, as they're there in the in this throne room of God, that all of a sudden there's a scroll in the hand, in the right hand, of the one who sits on the throne, who's the Father. And this scroll had seals. It was sealed with seven seals, this sort of number of perfection that we see throughout the Scriptures, seven. And the question is asked by one of the angels, who is worthy to open up this scroll? who's to to be able to open up the seals and read from the scroll, and no one was found. And it's interesting that the reaction of John here, where it says he wept loudly, hysterically, you might say, because no one was worthy to open the seals. What was this scroll? Well, we see earlier on, as a matter of fact, um, all the way in... To Daniel chapter 12 it speaks about when God was had given the word to Daniel about the things to come he says now take this scroll and wrap it up and seal it with these seven seals and they will not be opened again until the end of time until these things should come to pass. Throughout this passage, as a matter of fact, we see lots of Old Testament references. I'll mention some of them, not all of them. There's way too many for me to go through. But we see this from Daniel 12, about the scroll that's sealed. No one can open it until the end time. And now, here's John, ready for this to happen. The end has come. He's already seen, right, he's he's lived and he's now an old man. He was a young man when he he came alongside and when Christ called him. And he saw his Savior. He followed him. He walked with him for those years. He saw him crucified. He saw him raised from the dead. It was John, as a matter of fact, who was called by Christ to take care of his mother. <laughs> right on the cross. And so now here he is as an old man receiving this going, when will this come? The disciples asked this all the way back in Acts 1. Right after Jesus had raised from the dead. said, when is this going to happen? When are you going to establish? When are you going to bring your kingdom about? And so he's, he's wanting to know, and now here it is, it's time for the seals, and no one's there. No one is worthy. And he began to weep. And one of the elders said to me, he said, look at this in, this, in verse uh, 5, Weep no more, behold, who's going to come? Somebody's going to come. And look how they describe him, because this is Christ, but look how he's described. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. This is his coming, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Again, those Old Testament references, this is the one who's to come. God in his huge redemptive history. Matter of fact, he calls him what? The root of David. Well, what do you think that means? Well, where did David come from? What was the undergirding of David? We well, can go all the way back, certainly to Adam, in the promise made to Adam that through his seed of Adam, right, the seed of the woman, of Eve as well, that 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 the Lord would come and he would conquer the work of the devil and redeem mankind. And then we see in Abraham that through Abraham and through his seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So that very root even of David himself, the great king, he would come. And so which, what would John be expecting? The root of David, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that whole, the whole language of the lion of the tribe of Judah would come all the way from Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 10. But how did he show up? And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. This is a powerful picture, isn't it? We have, to, we have this great king, the lion of Judah, the, the root of David. And yet, here he, how does he show up here? As a lamb who had been slain. Why? Because this is so key for us to understand what we're going to see in a moment of what the mission of Christ is. Not only the Christ in his incarnation, But you might say Christ as well in his exaltation. Not only Christ, he's presented here in his humiliation as the Lamb of God slain. Remember, John is the one who writes about John the Baptist, referring to Jesus in this way. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so here he is as god's sacrifice one who had been slain and yet we have this unusual picture as well which is something we would normally see and say ezekiel and that is he is a lamb but he has seven horns and and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of the churches sent out into the earth wow that's a weird picture we got the lamb okay that's okay we're okay with that but seven horns and seven eyes what does that mean Well, there's all sorts of places we can go with that one. But what the horn represents in this apocalyptic imagery is power. And seven horns is perfect power. It's absolute, ultimate power. It's a number of perfection, as I mentioned before. And so seven horns and seven eyes. What are the eyes? Well, in, in, uh, in, in Zechariah chapter 4, it speaks about the seven eyes of the Lord that, that go out into all the earth. God is all seeing. Seven eyes going out as a Spirit sent out. He says here. Okay, the Spirit of the churches. God sees everything. God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. None of this is happening. This is important for us to see. None of this is happening is a surprise to God. None of this that is happening to these churches in their persecution and the difficulty is done apart from God's power and knowledge. God knows. God understands what they're going through. God hears their cries. As a matter of fact, when when the, everyone responds now to the Lamb who takes this scroll how do they respond they respond and worship right the 24 elders fell down the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints that's a sermon in itself we're not going to go there but it's a beautiful picture isn't it that before the throne of god there are the prayers of the saints presented as incense to god a pleasing aroma <laughs> God wants our prayers. He enjoys our prayers. But look what they say. They're singing a new song, it says. And here we see the Lamb of God worshipped. Worthy are you to take the scrolls and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Well, in the previous section, we talked about the exalted Christ and how he was presented here. But now we see as well the mission of the exalted Christ. What is it that the exalted Christ did? It says, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. At the very core of the mission of the exalted Christ is the cross. It's always about the cross. This is what God has done. He has redeemed. He has ransomed a people for God. This is an incredible mission, and from where? From every tribe and language and people and nation. This is a beautiful picture. You might say, "Here we are." You know, with here I am as a representative of mission to the world. But here we are seeing the mission of God to the world. Every single tribe and language and people and nation. Not a few, not just the Middle East, not just North America, but all the nations. This is the call of God to the church. Why is it the call of God to the church? Because it is the mission of the exalted Christ. This is what he has done, and this is what he continues to do. It's a beautiful picture. I know many of you have had this experience as well. But in January, Becky and I had the privilege of, of going for a month to, uh, to Brussels, And we spent the month worshiping with a church of Persian-Iranian believers. Many who had come to Christ in Iran and escaped and now were refugees in Brussels. But also many who had come to Christ there in Brussels. And we were part of this worship service where we didn't understand a thing that was going on because the sermons, actually the sermons were in French and they were translated into Farsi. Neither language do I understand. Okay. particularly French. No, I'm sorry. Um, But it was amazing to see God at work. We had the same privilege when we went to Uganda a number of times. And and standing in the midst of pastors and, and others who were worshiping God in Luganda, again, another language, I had no clue. But it was a beautiful experience to see and broaden my own vision of God's mission in the world as I begin to see not only what God was doing in a particular place in Richmond, Virginia, where I was, but what God was doing throughout the world. Because this is what he is about, right? He is ransoming people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And what is he doing with them? He says, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. God is building his kingdom. That's what we sang about, I think, in the first hymn tonight, today, right? Is is that we would want God to build his kingdom. And that's what he is doing. And we're about that as his church. That is our mission because it's the mission of the exalted Christ. To build his church. But what does that look like? He's building a kingdom, but he's also building priests. He's calling people to be priests. We now are a part of that mission as we go out and proclaim the risen Christ. But what is the result? What is happening when we first see that what's going on when confronted with the risen Christ? What do they do? The 24 elders and the four living creatures, they worship. But what do they do next? Then I looked and I heard around the throne in verse 11, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This worship is growing. It's not just the 24 elders and the four living creatures now. It's myriads and myriads. It's thousands of, it's millions and millions of angels there. Can you imagine what that sounded like? How wonderful that must have been. It's it's beautiful, isn't it, to sit here and as we sing together, sometimes I just stop just so I can hear the singing and being a part of the singing. That's what I love about congregations singing because we're gathered together like they are in heaven. But can you imagine what this is? Myriads and myriads, thousands and thousands, millions and millions of angels gathering and singing this praise to the king. But it gets bigger. Believe it or not, it's bigger. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. Now, not only do you have the, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, and, and the myriads and myriads of angels singing the praises of the risen Christ. But now we have every creature in heaven and on earth under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. And they gather and say, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now look at this. matter of fact, if you ever want to have a debate with someone on the deity of Christ, many people say, oh, I believe he was just a good man. Well, he's worshipped here. And God says, I will give my glory to no other. Here he is. Here's the risen, exalted Christ, worshipped to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. John Piper, one of my favorite writers, said this. He said, he said, the chief end of missions is the glory of God. And then he said this. He said, missions exist because worship does not. What's the purpose of Missions. The glory of God. And how is that glory shown? In the worship of God's people. What God is doing here, what, his, what the, the mission of the exalted Christ is to do what? To build the church, to create worshipers. People who, who lift up the name of Christ just as we see the angels do, as the, as the elders in the church and, and, and all, every creature in heaven and on earth, all called upon to worship worship. Worship Christ! What a beautiful picture that is, and that's what we ought to be about. Not only as a church, not only as not only Redeemer, right here in in uh, Union County, and not only in All Saints' Church in in uh, Richmond, Virginia, not only uh, churches in uh, Cristo Rey and, and Bogotá, Colombia, and other churches all over. This is what all of God's people are about, but it's also what we are about as the people of God in our own lives. So often as just we live our own lives, we forget this beautiful, large picture of our call as individuals called, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, purchased by Christ, ransomed, right, by His blood. Why? So that we may worship and serve and honor and glorify Him in everything we do. Now, I know I know, just as it might be easy for, for, to get caught up in, in individual parts of our lives, and that becomes our lives. I know many of you out there are, are struggling are <laughs> suffering. And often what can happen to us, and I've been there, I understand this, that, we can, that our lives can be no bigger than the box of our pain. And we can't see out of that box. We can't see out of that prison, you might say, of our own suffering. We can't see out of the, the also, though, the, the, the trap of our own careers and, and all those sorts of things. We get wrapped up and in, in everything becomes this big for us. And what what John is doing, what the Holy Spirit is calling John to do is to say to the church of Jesus Christ, and hopefully if I can do nothing else this morning, to give us all just a little bit of a glimpse to say it is much bigger. One of the things I love about the, the, uh, the counseling group out of, out of uh, Philadelphia uh, with Paul David Tripp and Ed Welch and those guys is, is at the core of their counseling, they say this, what we really want is we want people to have a bigger vision of life than their own pain or their own suffering or their own difficulties. And as a church and as individuals called by God, we too are called to be a part of the mission of the exalted Christ, which is so much bigger than our own lives. But our own lives are a part of it. And so we would have this same heart. There are other places in Scripture where, where it's prayed that, Lord, that you would widen our hearts. And so I pray that the Lord this morning would widen our hearts and our minds to get bigger than just what we see around us. And to help at times to give us, and this is what we so often see in the Word of God, that the picture of the world from 50,000 feet, from 100,000 feet, from maybe millions of miles up in the sky, where the throne of God. And say, this is the mission. This is the vision of the exalted Christ. This is what he is doing. And yes, I know your life is difficult. I know you're in pain. I know you're suffering. I know it's so easy to get caught up in all the details of, of, of pencils and Wi-Fi and land and loans. And, and who are you are going to call because David's leaving. And, and what you're going to do tomorrow morning. And all of those sorts of things. And you've got to deal with them because they're important. But at the back of all that, God is at work. God has a huge mission. You're a part of it. Praise Him. Let me pray for us. Father in Heaven, we thank You so much for Your mercy, for Your grace, for Your kindness. We thank You so much, Lord, that You've given us this incredible, awesome, Privilege to be a part of your work. That you have called us to be a kingdom, to be priests to you. And that in that work, Lord, you've called us to worship. You've called us to proclaim the name of Christ. You've called us, Lord, to remember the hope of heaven. In the glory of our risen Savior. Father, help us, Lord, expand, widen our hearts. Widen our hearts. That we will be people full of the gospel. To take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So that, Lord, every tribe and language and people and nation. Would hear the gospel would hear the good news of the crucified Christ, and the risen Christ, and the exalted Christ. May your name be praised. We pray all these in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good word.